0: Hi, I'm Don, Compulsive Overeater. Hey, Don. I've got some pictures that I'll pass around because it helps me remember. Um, nothing in my life told me that I could ever maintain a healthy body weight. Everything that happened to me before I got to program said exactly the opposite. Uh, I could get short periods of time when I could lose weight. But every time I lost weight, I felt a spring wind up inside me. I felt a tension build up. I felt like I was in prison. And it was such an alien concept to try to graft onto me. It was so different from the core of who I was that I could only manhandle it for a while. And then it would explode. And then I would go out and eat more. And I would end up gaining more weight. And I would sit there and wonder, how did that happen? And how did that, how did I get here again? And I didn't understand it. It wasn't that I didn't know what to do. I mean, I can tell anybody here how to lose weight in two words. Eat less. (laughs) unfortunately knowing that never did me any good it wasn't knowing what to do it was being able to do it and I could do it for short periods of time and I think I got it this time only to have it creep back and then come back it was like borrowing money and paying it back with interest I gained more weight than I lost and every single time I had the same frustration and every single time I thought it would be different and it never was and I don't remember a time in my life when I was a little kid, when I didn't have a different relationship with food than my friends. I remember them like stopping and saying weird things like I'm full or, uh, you know, that's too sweet or, um, uh, you know, I, I mean, I couldn't understand how anybody would leave food on their plate because I wouldn't leave food on your plate as, or my plate. Um, and it, it and, I, and I didn't know how to stop and I'd have. People like a coach, I remember in grammar school saying, kid, you got to do pushaways." And I said, what are those? He said, push away from the table. And the, the, the problem was, is that people who don't have our addiction can't understand it. Um, I, if you take somebody who was born blind, right. And you try to tell them what the color orange looks like. How would you do it? Well, we can't because we don't have a common vocabulary. So I can't explain to someone who's not a compulsive overeater what it feels like to be a compulsive overeater. They can't get it. And and by the way, I don't know what it feels like to be a compulsive gambler, for example. I mean, it's not my addiction. Um, I understand what a compulsion is about, but I don't understand that particular one. And those people don't understand why I keep eating when I'm not full. They don't understand why I'm eating when I'm completely full. They don't understand. I'm, I'm like... If you go to the gas station and fill your car, the pump shuts off when it's full. But I don't have a fill switch. I don't shut off when I'm full. I I don't know. My head tells me it's not enough. It doesn't matter how much is in front of me. And um, interestingly, I came to learn and program that that feeling is not limited to food. Um it it was uh, there's a non program book that I'll mention briefly by, by Chuck See, A New Pair of Glasses, where he talks about sitting and looking at the ocean and thinking if it was all liquor, it wouldn't be enough. And I was thinking, you know, if it was all food, I'd worry, is that going to be enough for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. Um, if it was all money, I might worry, is that going to be enough for the rest of my life? I mean, it was not just I thought it was about the food. And indeed, it was about the food. The only reason I came here was for the food. But it turned out to be about much, much more. It turned out to be about a whole mentality having to do with my view of the world, which was it was all about me and it was all about. Am I going to get enough? Am I going to be left out? I mean, I I can remember an almost panicky feeling like in a fraternity house in college when they would have a communal plate of food and they'd throw it down on the table. And my first thought is I'm not going to get enough. Somebody's going to get more than me, and to this day, I can find myself looking at other people's place going, "Do they get a bigger portion?" Um, but, but I so I came uh, basically, went through this for a number of years trying to uh, trying to lose weight on my own. Um, I, I got to uh, college, and, and a friendly family doctor gave me a couple of drugs that were big in those days. Um, uh, let's, I think it was, um, uh, what was it, ben, I don't know, attenuate dose pan and enzimil or something. Some, well, they were basically with speed. And they worked amazingly well in terms of killing my appetite. But during that whole time I had no appetite, I was thinking about food. Right. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to only have a few bites today, but what's it going to be? And how about this? And what about that? So my head was still spinning, even though I had no you know, physical desire to eat. Um, and, and it under, I understood that pre program, but I couldn't do anything with it until I got into the program, which I'll talk about in a bit later. Um, the, uh, now I heard about it about 10 years before I ever came to Overdue's Anonymous. And the reason I didn't come in was that my ego would not fit through the door. Um, (laughs) in, in every other area of my life, I've been able to be pretty successful at what I wanted to do. I would go, all right, I'm here. Goals there. What do I need to do? What are the steps? I'll take it. I'll get there. I'll figure out how to do it. And I was pretty good at doing it, uh, except that I could never do it with the food. And every single time I would get slammed and every single time I would sit there wondering, why can you not do this with food when you can do it everywhere else? And uh, and I I could not understand it and I couldn't um, I I couldn't get past it because my ego was such that I should be able to do that. I just I haven't found the gimmick. I haven't found the trick. I haven't found the angle. There's something out there that I can try that'll fix me. And I just don't know what it is yet. And I kept looking for it for years and years. And my weight kept going up and up. And I would sit there completely defeated and demoralized and humiliated. And of course, that made me want to eat to soothe myself. Um, So it was a fairly vicious cycle. Um, When I finally uh, got to it, and I have a very vivid memory, laying in bed, feeling this gigantic stomach, just putting my hands on it and going, I give up, I can't do this by myself. And I had been to a nutritionist, and I found that for a day or two after seeing the nutritionist, my food was pretty good, and then it would, of course, creep. Um, And I thought, you know, if I go to a meeting and I get a couple of days, and I go to another meeting, I get a couple of more days, maybe I can do something like that. And, uh, this was pre internet. I got absent in 1998. Uh, this was pre internet and I called up the OA office, listened to this long recording, found a meeting. It was on a Saturday. I went in. It was rainy. It was dark. It was depressing. I thought the speaker was brain damaged and (laughs) I absolutely couldn't wait to get out of there. I did not get anything, see any of it. I thought this is, you know, not for me. And uh, on my way out the door, this tiny little woman named Doris, who was in her 90s at the time, uh, gets between me and the door, sticks her fingers in my face and says, don't leave before the miracle happens. (laughs) And I had no idea what she was talking about. Um, But she looked awfully strong. (laughs) (laughs) And I decided I'd try another meeting the next day. And I ended up going to Serenity Sunday, which was 180 degrees. It was bright. It was sunny. There were people laughing. There were people in recovery. I saw people who'd lost 350 pounds and had it off for 20 plus years. And I thought, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't believe you could do that. See, deep secretly inside me, was a part of me that thought, you really will never be able to do this. You're completely doomed, and you're never going to be able to change. And I see, I wouldn't admit it even to myself, but it was there, and I knew it. And I was afraid of it, and I didn't know what to do, and I was embarrassed, and, um, and, and it kept me out. And uh, so, but I thought, you know what, nothing else has worked, and I'm going to try this. And then I saw it's Serenity Sunday, they give chips. Well, that plays directly into my goal setting (laughs) that I talked about earlier. So, okay, I'm going to, I want the trophy. I want the chips. That's what it took in the beginning. If you asked me the day I walked in the program, why are you here? I would have looked at you and said, is this a trick question? I mean, I came here to lose weight. Why the hell else would I be here? If you ask me today why I'm here, I'm going to give you a completely different answer. The answer is that I'm here today because I don't want to eat compulsively. And that's very different from losing weight. I can I can eat compulsively and lose weight. That's what I did before program. I would hang on white knuckle, barely be able to do it, um, and lose weight. Um, but it wasn't real, and the tension built up, and then it exploded. And uh, if I go and do the deal in the program, I get a release from that. But I'll talk about that more in a minute. So uh, I came in. I luckily got abstinent immediately because uh, to me it clicked in of poster boy, be the poster boy, lose the weight, you know, get the trophy, etc. And I, I got a son- sponsor, the only guy who came up to me, says, if you want to call me, here's my number. Um, very scientific, but we've been together the entire uh, 21 years. Um, so uh, things st- I started losing weight rel- relatively quickly. I started going to meetings. I started feeling better. And when I went up to get a 60-day chip, I have this strong recollection of realizing something wasn't there. And it was harder to notice something that wasn't there than something that is there. And what I realized wasn't there was the spring winding up inside me. Mm -hmm. The first time in my life I ever lost weight and I didn't feel the tension. And I thought, whoa, there's something really different here. There's something, and I don't know what it is. uh, And I don't have to worry about what it is. I just know it's different. And I know what I'm doing is different. And I, I remember... Uh, my initial reaction was separating from everybody. My initial reaction was, you don't understand, I'm better than everybody here. (laughs) And what am I doing here with with all of you guys? Because I'm better. Of course, my being better got me 50 pounds heavier, (laughs) got me humiliated and frustrated and and, uh, so forth. But but that was my thinking at the time. And I remember saying to my sponsor about three months in, I said, you know, the meetings are getting better. And (laughs) and, And he rather predictably said, no, the meetings are about the same you're just getting more open to the program and he was obviously right Um, and uh, so I I started working through the steps and uh, I never had an issue with the spiritual part of the program my mother was very spiritual growing up I had disconnected from it um, but that wasn't a hard thing for me. Uh, it was sort of an, I'd forgotten when I came in that it was a spiritual program until I started talking about it. Um, but and I know people have issues with it, but I, I never particularly did. That part worked. The idea of, of you know, tuning into something. Uh, my concept of a higher power, by the way, is a flow of energy in the universe. It's almost like a river, almost like a, a musical wave. And when I get in tune and float with it, my life gets great. And when I fight it and try to swim upstream, I exhaust myself and my life gets messy. And so for me, it's more about tuning into this sort of harmony of the universe and the harmony of other people. Um, But that's definitely not how I came in. I came in with my goal setting of, all right, uh, how quick can I get it? Um, How little do I have to do to get it? And how quick can I graduate, learn it and get out of here? And that's exactly what uh, the thing that I came in for. But it turns out that, I mean, uh, there's an expression, which I frankly didn't like at the time, but I'm okay with it now, which is I came for the vanity and stayed for the sanity. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, I said said to my sponsor, you know, my life's in pretty good shape. Uh, We talk about our life's unmanageable. He said, how's the food part of your life? Okay, it was a mess. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, that, that's obviously what, what got me in the door, but um, I, I ended up with, again, so much more of it, because in the, in the big book, in The Doctor's Opinion, uh, he lays out uh, two aspects of the disease, and the two aspects are an allergy of the body, um, and the allergy of the body doesn't mean rashes, it means an abnormal reaction to something. And for me, the abnormal reaction is that when I start eating compulsively, I can't stop that. Once I get into that cycle, you best not be between me and the, and the food. Um, keep your arms and legs away. Uh, and so I, I know that once I'm triggered into that cycle, I'm doomed. I cannot stop it. I tried that my whole life, couldn't do it. Um, the second part of the disease is an obsession of the mind. And the obsession of the mind means that my head's constantly spinning and telling me I've got to start eating because it's going to be different this time. And uh, that's very much what I talked about when I was taking the, you know, the the drugs and to lose my appetite. So my head was still spinning about food. I just wasn't eating because I didn't have an appetite. Well, um, I I don't uh, at least as of today, nobody can do anything about the allergy of the body. Uh, It's it's physiological. It just once it's triggered and in its mode, nobody's found a way to stop it. We can, however, deal with the obsession. And that's what the 12 step program does for me, is that I'm able to get released from the obsession. If I do the deal, if I take some simple steps, if I go through and do on a daily basis program material, um, I can get a release from the obsession. And it's a 24-hour reprieve, and it's conditioned upon my doing the work. It's not something I can coast on. Uh, it, it, uh, I'd like to, and I'd like. To, and my head tells me I got it. You can take it easy. But, uh, and this, by the way, has not been a straight-line pink cloud. There are times when my head tells me you got this, and I get fatter, and I get sloppier, and I'm not suddenly doing as much or being as honest, and all of a sudden I'm heavier and I have to pull back and recharge the program and, and get back into it because it's not a straight line for me. Um, I, and so, uh, but, I, but if I do it on a daily basis, I get a genuine release. And a genuine release is an extraordinary feeling. It puts food, as uh, the big book uh, talks about, we get into a place of neutrality. Uh-huh. We, we get a place to where it's not, it's not spinning in my head. It's not the sole thought. Um, and if I, my head starts to go there, <clears throat> I have a few seconds between the thought and the action I never had before. I have a few seconds that I can center myself and go do something different. And what is the different? and what is the secret of how to get out of my head and how to get out of the obsession? Well, For me, it's, it's, being, it's being of service to other people. Because you probably gathered from, the, from my description of how I came in here that uh, it was all about me. How much can I get? How quick can I get it? How little do I have to give? And how fast can I get out of here? It was just about me. I wanted a quick fix me, thank you, I got it now, I'm going to graduate and move on. Because that's how I tend to think. Um, and it turns out, though, that if I center my attention elsewhere, that if I talk to my sponsees when I don't feel like it, um, if I talk to, if I go to meetings, if I'm uh, text, I text my food to my sponsor so I stay clean because he needs to know everything I'm eating. Because left in my own secret devices, it gets very sloppy. Uh, and I believe me, for years, did not text him food or even tell him what I was eating. I, I thought, you know, I would sooner tell you my deepest. Darkest family secrets and tell you what I'm eating. I was so ashamed of it and thought it was so private and so personal that I could never share it with anyone. Now I've gotten to where I don't feel clean if I don't text it, if I don't let them know, um, because otherwise it's all about keeping secrets and that's where that's where I got in trouble. Um, the gremlins in the dark recesses of my mind are very scary. They jump out, they bite me, they they come at unannounced. At different attack angles, but if I pull them out in the light and I talk about them and i I get open and honest with them, they 're not so big; they kind of shrively and they 're relatively small and uh, and in my experience, no match for the for the twelve steps um, because the more that I am thinking about other people, the less I am obsessed with myself, the less I'm obsessed with food and it's kind of a paradox um, there's a lot of paradoxes in program, but i it, it starts off by saying. You know, I'm powerless over food. I have to say I'm powerless in order to have any kind of power over it. It doesn't make logical sense. Um, but this program, it turns out, is not logical. It's experiential. And it's logical in the sense that I see it working with others. It's logical in the sense that a bicycle is going to fall over if you, if, with two wheels. But I see other kids in the neighborhood riding bikes, so I figure I can do it. I see other people here doing it, and, and it works for them. And if it works for them, it can work for me if I do the deal. But it's up to me. And only I can make that decision. And only I can decide um, that I'm either going to to get in the flow with the program and genuinely be open to others and genuinely be willing to help. Or or I can decide that I'm going to, you know what, I'm not in the mood. I'm just going to go into my shell. And that's a dangerous place because my head spins. And pretty soon it gets to food because that's where I want to go to soothe myself. That was my... Uh, go to from the time I was a little kid, you know, whatever feeling I had stuff it um, or never get, never get hungry. I don't, you know, hardly ever felt hunger uh, because hunger had nothing to do with it. I wasn't eating because I was hungry. That's actually a pretty good feeling to sort of be hungry and then eat. Uh, I just have to not get too hungry or I go the other way and suddenly I lose track of my fill switch and I don't know when I'm full and I feel fat and then I feel disgusted and then I want to eat more. Um, But I know the pattern. Logically, knowing it also doesn't help being honest about it and talking about it does help um, and sharing my experience and strength and hope with others is uh, a key part of this for me, because otherwise I, I I am inside my head and inside my head. It's it's very, very difficult. Um, it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't bode well for me in terms of uh, of being able to do it. Um, so how are we doing? We got a lot. Um, so. So. Um, the. All I can say is that, you know, from coming from the place that I did, <clears throat> from coming from a little kid, uh, I, my uh, parents got divorced in the 1950s. I was literally the only kid in school whose parents were divorced. Um, and I my mom used to say, you know, I took your father away. I don't want to take the food away. So she would always just let me eat. And I, we, we were one of the first houses uh, on the block to have a television set. Um, And I like to say I was a pioneer of eating in front of the television (laughs) and that pioneers have to put up with hardships. We had uh, three channels, no remote. Um, But it was uh, it was, you know, just soothing. And and as I say, it was the only thing I knew how to do. Um, And I did. And I genuinely didn't think there was any kind of solution to it. So. to, to, now it's it's just about working the steps. I mean, it's it's uh, on a daily basis admitting that I'm powerless, remembering that. Uh, I do that with a meditation in the morning, um, and I read from the four day four today book, and uh, I and then um, you know a second step. I have to keep in mind. I have to keep God in the equation. I have to understand that if i'm not in tune with a spiritual place my life is going to get complicated and that comes up in all kinds of ways it comes up when things don't go uh the way i want them to go and uh and when i and, and that's that's when i need to do it i mean i remember having to be with uh with one person uh, on a regular basis it was truly annoying that just their habits and way of talking were completely opposite i'm pretty fast and let's get to it and this is someone who meandered and took a while and and i thought to myself you know what this person's in my life so i can learn humility and i can learn patience <laughs> and it sort of turned in my head around the way of looking at them. of uh, okay learn how to deal with people like that and and, and understand what their needs are and that they're they're, they're doing the best they can and made a huge difference um, in my serenity you know, uh, their serenity I can't control, but, um, but it, I can control how I do it. Um, there is a thing about um, two, two men are, are uh, in a car accident and are in wheelchairs the rest of their lives. And the first guy says, you know what? I was an athlete and I'm never going to be able to play baseball again. I'm not going to be able to run around with my kids. Uh, my life is over and goes into a deep depression. And the second guy says, thank God I'm alive. I have all these days left. I'm still here. I can see things. I can enjoy the world. I can enjoy it. Um, it's, it's, uh, there's a thing in the big book uh, by uh, Dr. Paul about it's, I not, need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. And that's very, very powerful for me. It's one of my favorite passages in the big book is that uh, when I'm thinking, when I'm complaining about it, and by the way, my sponsor who knew Dr. Paul said that, uh, he says, by the way, uh, acceptance doesn't mean approval. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I like what's happening, but I accept it, and I have to understand it. And genuinely, or generally in my life, something happens I don't like. I may find out that I'm not getting something I want. Uh, I find out years later why it happened, and it was to my benefit. But I don't see that picture now. Um, there was Someone talked about an analogy of if you had a little television screen and you saw a body on a table and someone sticking a knife into it, you'd think you're watching a murder. And then you pull back and you see it's an operating room and they're trying to save the person's life. And that if I understand that you know, the, the universe sees the bigger picture and I'm just seeing the small picture, um, I can accept that things are not going the way that I planned for them. And I'm going to be pretty disappointed if I expect everybody to go exactly the way that I want it to. Um, But it's much easier for me to accept that this is what's supposed to happen. And what am I going to learn from it? And how am I going to deal with it and how am I going to react to it? Because it's all about me reacting. It's all about how I'm going to take it in. It's all about how I'm going to feel Um, because that part I do have some choice over. I can I can dwell on it, I can obsess on it, I can get angry over it, or I can let it go. And uh, most of the time, what I'm upset about hasn't even happened. It's something that might happen, um, or something that might not happen. And so for me to waste time talking about it, and I understand this is easier to say intellectually than to feel, but with practice, I find it gets better, and I find I'm getting better at it. And if I talk to my sponsor about it, it, it gets it out again. I mean, I don't have to keep it inside. I don't have to deal with it that way. And um, it was uh, I was uh, very afraid of the night step. I remember talking to my sponsor early on and saying that. And he said, y- you know, you're not even on the, on the first step. <laughs> 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 and I said, so I shouldn't worry about it. And he said, well, you can if you want to, but <laughs> it won't do you any good. Um, and I had to trust that when I got there that I would uh, I would um, I would feel different about it. And I did. Because by the time I got to the ninth step, I'd been through the fourth step and the fifth step and I would cleaned out a lot of stuff. I mean, the the whole process of the fourth and fifth step is to really, you know, um, air out what's inside and get rid of the stuff that's not working. Um, the the idea is that I carried a lot of things that I wasn't aware of and a lot of old feelings and resentments of people that may not even be living and they weren't doing me any good. And uh, by going through those and looking at myself and trying to take a real assessment of getting clean with who I was and how I was going to do it, um, then uh, then I could get that, then I could come to the, the world in a much different place. It's a very free feeling to come in very openly and genuinely looking at, you know, what, what is your point of view? Uh, I remember learning this from uh, a guy who was a executive coach. Uh, talking about in a difficult negotiation where someone's taking a position you think is just ridiculous, to say to them, you know, interesting, how do you, why do you think that? And become genuinely curious about how someone could have a viewpoint that's so different from yours. And it like literally changed, uh, my attitude about things like that. I mean, if someone is saying something uh, that's I think is just ridiculous and absurd and they could. How, how could you think that, you idiot? Uh, if instead of, you know, putting them, you know, going on the offensive, if I say to them, really, how do you tell me? Uh, wh- how did you get there? What made you think that? Sometimes, by the way, I learned something that I'm wrong. Um, sometimes I reconfirm that they're idiots. But um, <laughs> but the point is, is that I'm understanding their point of view. And I'm listening and uh, virtually I, I certainly want to be heard when I'm saying something. And if I'm saying something that the guy's just yelling at me, I'm, I don't feel like they're hearing me. And uh, somehow being heard diffuses feelings on both sides. I don't feel as angry if I'm trying to understand where they're coming from. Oh, OK, I see. I, I don't I don't agree with that. But I understand how you got there. Um, it, it helps my serenity. And uh, if I can say in the space of caring about others and getting out of my head and not just looking at my own self agendas. My life gets way, way better. And when my life gets better, my food fades as one of the issues. I don't have the need for the soothing. I don't have the need for the obsession. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy food. It doesn't mean that I don't overeat on occasion because I do. Um, It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, I'm by any means perfect, but far from it. Um, but it means that I can, if I do the deal, get a serenity. Um, I had a, um, a sponsee who had a, a gift for, uh, uh, for uh, analogies. And he said two things that I thought sort of summed up uh, the program. He said, if there's an eight-foot wall, uh, I can't get over it by myself. He said, but I can boost you up to the top of the wall. And when you get up there, you can reach down and grab me. And then together, we can get over the wall he said, you know, that's what program is. I can't do this by myself. I, I, I thought I could. Um, I, everything I kept, my head told me I could, and, and my evidence told me I couldn't. And I accepted that I can't. And uh, and I don't have any illusions of it even today, even with the years of abstinence. If anything, the years of abstinence can make me cocky. of Hey, you got this, you know. Um, but that's that doesn't work. That just leads me to sloppiness, and that leads me to... Coasting and that leads me into a very bad place back to where I could be because I know I could get there again and I don't want to I choose not to at least I have a choice now and I have a few seconds of choice between thought and action that I never had before doesn't mean the thoughts don't come but uh, I don't have to act on them and they're rather easily brushed aside. It's uh, like I remember we had some bees, and this guy came out to, to talk about the bees, and he was saying that bees don't really want to bother you. I mean, uh, that if you're gentle and stand still, they'll they'll leave you alone. And he was like gently pushing the bees to the side. That's sort of how I feel about some of these thoughts. You know, they come in and I can just sort of gently stand still and pass by. <laughs> <wave> <laughs> <under the head. laughs> Not get stunned. <laughs> and uh, the other uh, um, analogy that he had, which, which I love, and I'll close with that and we'll take some questions if you like, is uh, uh, he said, um, I can't stay clean today on yesterday's shower. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite things in program because it really doesn't matter what I did up until now. Uh, it only matters what I'm what I'm doing today and what I do from here on. And uh, every, look, everybody here has got at least a half hour of abstinence. So uh, if you're new, build on it. <laughs> and if you've been around for a while, add it to the to the collection. And uh, thank you for letting me be a service. <laughs> Questions? Yeah. I was wondering, how open are you with your family, friends, and strangers about your 12-step program and your food addiction? Um, yeah, the question is how open am I about the 12-step program and food addiction? Totally. Um, I'm totally open because I never know who it's going to help or who I need to hear it. I mean, I'm not going to go out of way, my way to bring it up. If someone, if, some, if a certain, you know, just to say hi, nice to meet you. I'm a compulsive overreader. <laughs> 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 um, but if it comes up in a context of someone who talks about struggling with weight, or if it comes up in a context of other 12-step programs, I'm very open about it because I, you never know who needs to hear it or might want to know about it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, you talked about how you were great at goal setting and goal achieving but you didn't walk in the room because your ego was so big. What helped you then, and what helps you now keep your ego right-sized? Okay. question is, uh, how do I keep my ego right-sized when it was strong enough to keep me out of the room? It's an ongoing uh, proposition. The main thing that keeps my ego right-sized, well, first of all, I've had my ass kicked by the food so many times that that humiliated me, but my head forgets about that and then tells me I'm over it. Um, It's mostly focusing on others. It's really being genuinely interested in other people's needs, opinions, thoughts, and being genuinely present for them. Um, Because in the past it would be, you know, what can they do for me, and otherwise I'm not that interested. And now I've become genuinely interested in others, you know, from every level. That keeps my ego in check. Yeah? Yeah. Hi, thank you so much for your share. Um, I hear people speak from the podium and say that the road narrows, and I think they're talking about their food plan. Uh, Have you noticed any, through the years, has your food plan changed? Okay, the question is, has my food plan changed over the years? Yes, uh, it has and it hasn't. Uh, My food plan is all foods in moderation, um, and because I didn't want to feel restricted and I didn't want to feel like I was on a diet. Because this is for me, this is not a diet and being on a diet is a dangerous thing because I immediately want to get off the diet and go do something different. So uh, and I and I to the extent I have dangerous foods, they're not sweets, they're salty. Um, But the the uh, in the beginning when I was losing weight, I was eating much less and avoiding the obvious sort of sweets and and uh, pastas and breads and things that you would expect. Now, again, I add them back slowly. I have to be careful. I have to be cautious around certain kinds of foods. Um, but uh, again, as long as I stay honest and, uh, and, and try to pay attention when I'm full, um, uh, I, I eat all foods in moderation. Yeah. Can you um, tell us how you work the fourth step? Here, how did I work the fourth step? Um, I had plenty of resentments, <laughs> so it wasn't a problem to sit and list them. I was surprised myself how many I had because I didn't think I had that many. Um, and I, you know, I worked them very formally, all the steps through a pamphlet by Dr. Paul that my my sponsor likes to use a uh, pamphlet. But that's how we did it. And, um, it, you know, it was it was pretty much classic big book, you know, listed the resentments, list of the columns and then put my role in it. And my role in it, by the way, is one of the most powerful things in program. That was the beginning of the psychic change and the shift in consciousness, because I can't get as angry about something when I see my role in it as when I think I'm being indignantly wronged by someone who had no right. And most of the time I have a role in it. Um, most of the time I've done something. Uh, also most of the time I can think if I were in their position and this happened, I would probably do what they do. And that makes it hard for me to get angry. Because if somebody's doing exactly what I would do in that role, I have a harder time being angry about it. I, um, the, you know, being right, righteously angry I, it doesn't hold much appeal for me anymore. I try not to get angry. Um, and for the most part, I, you know, I don't get particularly angry. It doesn't help. It just I don't even think straight when I'm angry. Um, I can think much better if I'm looking at it more logically and looking at it more balanced. You know, why would they do that? What are their needs? Okay, it's different from what I would want and it hurt me, but I may not have even been the target. It may have been they were doing something that I would have done for myself. Yeah. Big book. It talks about how we recall from it like a hot flame. Uh For me, it was like the sugar. Have you ever been able to do that and then lose that capacity and what did you do to get it back? Okay. The question is, were there times when I was able to recoil from something like a hot flame and did I lose it and get it back? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um,
0: uh, You know, I lost it through very slow, insidious, little extra here, there, and the other, and pretty soon it was sloppy again. And I got it back by doubling down on the steps. Um, there's a there's a series of uh, a um, workshop called Joe and Charlie that I find to be terrific. And I listened to that and it like brought my whole program uh, back up to speed. Um, and I found it very helpful just in terms of cleaning everything up. So. Yeah. You, I may have missed it. What was your abstinence and has that changed? Oh, uh, no, you didn't miss it. My abstinence is uh, three meals a day and occasional snack because prior to program, I was a night eater. I'd start eating at dinner and not stop till I went to sleep. And then, of course, you know, snacks during the day. Um, So that's the bottom line abstinence. My food plan is, again, all foods in moderation. Uh, In in a weight losing phase, I cut out the, the, the obvious things that you would do and then add them in sparingly. And some things I eat very, very rarely, maybe a couple of times a year. Um, but, and I, and also I text, uh, you know, text everything to my, uh, to my sponsor. Other questions? Yeah. Do you have a daily uh, practice, or spiritual practice? I do. Uh, do I have a daily spiritual practice? I read on awakening in the morning, and, uh, and then I work with sponsees throughout the day, and I call my sponsor. I mean, that's gen- generally what it is, and then go to meetings. Mm-hmm. Other questions? Alright, well then thank you for letting me go.